Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. This is Humanizing History. I'm Cliff. And I'm Nick. How you doing, Nick? Doing pretty good. I'm excited for today. Me too. All right. Well, let's dive right into it. Uh, Frank Sinatra is who we're going to be covering. I didn't know a whole lot about him going into this. I learned a lot. Surprised me a little bit. Yeah, he, he's an interesting character to say the least. For sure. So if I were to say to you to begin, who's Frank Sinatra? What can you tell me about him? Well, Frank Sinatra, I mean, when I think of him, I think of one of the greatest singers in American history. You know, I think you can almost look at him and he kind of formed a lot of the ways that music is today. I think he's probably the step right before Elvis when it comes to modern music. So. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you'd be right. You'd be very right. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's who he was. He was a singer through and through his whole life, man. Let's start off. Let's kind of learn who he was. He was born December 12th, 1915. It was a rough start. Okay. So he he was he weighed almost 13 pounds. <laughs> Gosh, a huge baby. A huge. Like, that's more than twice what my kid weighed when he yeah, was born. It's like an elephant baby. So he was like 12 and three quarter pounds. <laughs> um, and when he came out, you know, they had to use forceps. So the okay. doctor put the forceps on him and grabbed onto him to pull out. Which caused the very first scar he ever had. Really? So okay. he was scarred before birth, you know. <laughs> anyway, so when he came out, he was blue, wasn't breathing. Doctor figured he's already toast. So he literally set him on the kitchen counter in their room and left him to go tend to the mom who's bleeding. Luckily, his grandmother was there and had more sense than the doctor. She picked him up, threw him under some ice cold water in the sink, smacked him around a little bit, and... He started singing and crying. Oh, no way. Yeah, so that is that is how he uh, came into life. <laughs> wow, just talk about modern medicine changing here. I'm just going to leave you on the kitchen counter, and yeah. wow, wow, yeah. that's crazy. Absolutely nuts. <laughs> and a doctor, you'd think, of all people, would be like, you know, maybe we should at least try smacking him something. Right, right. But yeah, so we'll find out that that doctor was the first of many people to kind of just throw him by the wayside. Give up on him, not really care. Okay. Yeah. He started singing from a really young age. He would sing for, you know, Nichols when his parents owned a little tavern. He would sing for Nichols in there. Okay. Um, and then he ended up, you know, becoming obviously a famous singer. He was also worked as an actor and as a producer. Really? I didn't um, know he was a producer. I, I mean, I've seen a bunch of movies with him, but never never knew he produced too. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I didn't think so either, but he did. He, he was a producer. Um, and then he ended up dying on May 14th, 1998 from a heart attack. Okay. How old was he? He was, I think I'm pretty sure he was either 82 or 83. So, what was it? 1998, and he was born in when? 2015. No, he was not born in 1915. Oh, yeah, he was 83. 82 <laughs> or 83. <laughs> <laughs> He's Benjamin Button. He was born after he died. Or, sorry, yeah, born after he died. <laughs> the first thing that stood out to me is, from a really young age, he loved two things. Singing... And women. That Which sounds like any you know good American boy. Typically goes hand in hand. I right. think he may have took it to the extreme just a little bit. Okay. But we're gonna find out. Um, 
some would call him a womanizer. Okay. So his first act um, as a womanizer came in 1938 when he had be- become involved with a married woman. Ooh, so this was scandalous. illegal. Okay. Yeah, yeah, this was illegal back in the day. So he was arrested and charged with quote unquote seduction. Seduction. Seduction, which is apparently becoming involved with a married person. Okay. Somebody who's, you know, taken. Um, what's really interesting is I, I read that Nancy Barbado is the woman that he was involved with. Okay. She was married at the time, and she also ended up becoming his first wife. Okay, so he wins in the long run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. That straddle the line there. So <laughs> So I, just real quick. So does so this is the first time I've ever heard of this seduction law. Sure. So obviously he gets in trouble, he is arrested. Mm-hmm. Does anything happen to her or is like the woman like the innocent victim in this whole I thing? I think that's what it is. Back okay. in the day women were kind of looked at as I don't want to say less less than men, but they they kind of were. I mean, they just got the right to vote what 18 years or something, right. 16 years before this. Hmm. They weren't exactly looked at as on equal terms. So I think it was one of those, oh, run along, sweetheart. You didn't know any better. It was this evil man who was seducing you. Right, right. So uh, the, the charges ended up being dropped. Okay. But that was his first picture, his mugshot, and that's what kind of started his bad boy image. Okay, okay. So that, that infamous mugshot of Frank Sinatra, it, yes. that's from... That's from seduction. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Nothing cool like, you know, armed robbery or anything like that. Yeah. No. Seduction. Seduction. And charges were dropped. So, okay. you know, um, but he had become one of the America's first heartthrobs. Yeah. And women would just scream uncontrollably when he was on stage. Anytime they'd even see him, girls would just start, ah. you know, you think about like, you see, I don't know, Justin Bieber, or One Direction, whatever. There's women just, girls, not women, just pee in their pants. Oh my gosh. You know, <laughs> that's, th- this is what started it. He okay. was the original one. Um, these women were called Bobby Soxers. Bobby Socks. Bobby Socks. Dude, the language in, in the vernacular of that time just blows me away. But keep going. Bully. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they were called Bobby Soxers just real quickly because um, they would wear Catholic socks. They were Catholic schoolgirls. Oh, gosh. And they would roll them down to their ankles. Oh. So they called them Bobby Soxers. Gotcha. So anyway, he, he got this idea that since he could, you know, seduce a married woman and now girls are screaming and throwing themselves at him. He had this idea that any woman he wanted, he could have. Okay. Which, throughout his life, you could, you could tell he had that mentality. Right, right. So his first wife, Nancy, the one that he cheated with, or that, you know, he seduced. Right. Um, she always thought that they were involved with women, other women when they were engaged, but she never really had any proof. Mm-hmm. Um, she always said that she felt like he had to possess any woman he thought was attractive. So the first real evidence that she ever had when they were married um, was when they were driving in, in his Cadillac. He was teaching her how to drive. Okay. And she reached into the glove compartment, and she found this beautiful diamond bracelet. She thought, oh, it's a gift for me. He's hiding it. I'm just going to put it back. So she just put it back and forgot about it. Well, later on, <laughs> she found his mistress. Well, we turn out and find out later it's his mistress. Marilyn Maxwell wearing it at a party at their house. Oh, no way. So Nancy, being this, you know, I'm not going to take this kind of woman, confronted her about it. Well, Marilyn Maxwell, his mistress, got upset and went and told him. What do you think Frank does? Oh, wasn't that, that wasn't me. I, I don't know. Oh, no, no, no. Far worse. 
He goes to Nancy and says, you need to apologize to her. Oh, no. You made her feel bad. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Now, does he admit that he cheated? He never outright admitted it. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, your mistress gets upset and your wife confronts her and you tell your wife to apologize to your mistress? (laughs) No. Later on, actually, they showed up after he... This is later on. But he's still with Marilyn and they're messing around. Well, he drove to their house, went on the intercom, and told Nancy, hey, tell this broad... That you and I are getting a divorce, so she'll sleep with me. No way. Yeah. Dude. Okay, so we both are... You and I are married to very strong-willed women. Absolutely. Could you imagine... Oh, oh dude, like... My, I'd be shot. My yeah. wife would shoot me. Yeah. I'd be a eunuch real quick. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different time, I guess. Yeah. Around 1948, he began an extramarital affair with Ava Gardner. And they actually ended up getting... Married just days after the divorce to Nancy. So he never married Maxwell. So, yeah, let me back up. Actually, the one in the car, I believe, was actually uh, Ava Gardner, not Maxwell. Okay, gotcha. That he's like, hey, tell this broad we're getting divorced. Okay. Um, so they, they got married shortly after, his, like literally days after his divorce with Nancy, who he had a kids with, three kids. After that, he was rumored to have an intimate affair with Lana Turner in the 1940s. Should I know that name? Um, there's a lot of these that are famous actresses. Okay. That if you watch old movies, you'd know. Okay. There's a few in here you'll you'll recognize okay. immediately. Gotcha. Lana Turner, I know I've heard it, but I, I couldn't place her. Gotcha. They both denied that they were intimate together. Okay. But there's pictures and everything that show they were extremely close. In 1942, Frank and actress Marlene Dietrich had several encounters they'd meet each other and have a you know, go around and then part ways he also had a short-lived relationship with judy garland okay okay in the 1940s and again in the 1955 when they had both separated from their spouses they came back together and had another little tryst Do you know what i've never understood about the whole movie style mm-hmm. movie star style of life is like in this instance yes he can get whatever whatever woman he wants but why not that I condone this, but why get married? Like, you know, it's like you're gonna go have your way with whoever you want. Well, you know, why why get married? You know, it it still baffles me to this day. You know, we see these millionaire movie stars; they're getting married and divorced every two years, and you know, just why? But that's you know, it's a different life than mine. I I can't imagine it, but it it just kind of baffles me. I don't get it either. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Why Why would you want to do that? So, I guess they just like giving half their money away every right. few years. Right. I'd be interested to see where prenups a thing back then. So, yeah, that's a... <laughs> prenups were a thing. Oh, were they? Okay. Um, totally unrelated. Courtney Love demanded to have a prenup with Kurt Cobain when they got married. Because she thought she was going to be more famous than him. No way. Way. <laughs> You're probably hating that. Yeah. So. Okay, so in any case, um, that was Judy Garland. Blew me away. When I think Judy Garland, I think this prim and proper, you know, the, the girl from Wizard of Oz. She was apparently not what I thought. I was just going to say that. We could probably do an episode on her. She's got a history. Does she? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll throw that one in the Maybe, pile. Yeah, we'll throw it in. <laughs> So that was in 40s and 55. 56, he had an affair with co-star Grace Kelly while they were filming High Society. Okay. After separating from Gardner, he met Janine Carmen, and they started having a relationship. 
Once while filming Some Come Running, he began a romantic relationship with another co-star, Shirley MacLaine. Okay. He kind of had a thing for So I, I think it's like, you know, in their contract, does it say, you know, you'll get paid, but you have to have a relationship with Frank Sinatra? It feels that way, but... It, it looks that way. Right. So, but... <laughs> He, he does it with, like, every co-star he's with. Mm-hmm. It's almost like, yeah, sign a contract. Oh, I get this much. Oh, and who do I have to sleep with? Right. Frank Sinatra, I mean, okay. I, it, okay, you wonder if it if that blurred line of we're kissing on screen and we're in a relationship. Like, I've always thought that would be kind of a hard line to, like, keep behind. You know... Because I, when I think of kissing somebody, I think of kissing my wife or, you know, in the past, my girlfriends. And so there's that instant, like, okay, that's that's my partner, you know? Yeah. So you wonder if that's if that's tough to to get over. I, it'd be hard for me to turn off. This right. is not sexual. This is sexual. This is not love. This is love. This right. is acting. This is life. Right. I don't know how I could turn it off. I don't either. Yeah. So maybe he couldn't turn it off either. I yeah. mean, maybe that's exactly what well, it was. Clearly it turned him on, so... <laughs> Um, so Sinatra and actress Lauren Bacall were reported to be romantically involved okay both of them denied this as well again there's pictures there's you know documentation of it but they both denied it so in 1961 um, he began a relationship with Juliet Prowse and they eventually became engaged so he was you know going in for his third marriage at this time Oh, so we're only at third marriage at this point. Well, Out not, of all not, of these names, this we're is only two. third marriage. He's on a second marriage. Okay. So this is they were engaged. However, he demanded that she give up her career and as a dancer and an actress to be his wife. And she told him to go pound sand. She's like, <laughs> nope. So their engagement ended in 1962. Their relationship drowned. While he was with Juliet Prowse in 1961... He had a short-lived affair with Marilyn Monroe. Okay. After but who didn't? Let's be again, honest. Again, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I heard that Joe DiMaggio guy didn't. <laughs> or JFK. JFK didn't either. Yeah, yeah right. It's really weird. She was essentially a Catholic nun. Um, <laughs> oh, for the short time she was alive, man, did she get around? <laughs> In 1963, he and yet another co-star, Anita Ekberg were said to have been performing off-screen as well as on. And they were showing up to <laughs> performing parties. Performing off-screen as on, I love it. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, they, and they ended up showing up to parties together and becoming real comfortable with each other. Okay. Um, you could just kind of see it. They'd walk into a party, hands in back pockets kind of thing. Now, he's not married at this point, right? 1963? I don't believe so. Okay, okay. Um, again, while working on the film Come Blow Your Horn... Frank. Excuse me? Yes. I don't know why all these sound like porn movies. But... What was the first one? Go Come Running or something? Yeah, some Come Running. Some Come Running. Go Blow Your Horn? Come Blow Your oh, Horn. Oh, Come Blow Your Horn. So, well... <laughs> Alright, let's add to his resume. Porn star. <laughs> um, you children out there, that is not true. <laughs> While filming Come Blow Your Horn, Frank again had a relationship with his co-star, Jill St. John. Jill St. John. And that ended. And then again, in 1967, they his co-star was again Jill St. John, and they had another fling while, he, while they were filming Tony Rome. Okay, that, that doesn't sound as bad, but... Still, yeah. But just, it's funny that, you know, 
Oh, I'm a co-star with you. We're sleeping together. Four years pass. Hey, we're sleeping together again because right. we're co-stars again. Right. It's odd. I, I'm going to go back to that. He doesn't know. He can't divide that line of I'm acting and this is real life. Yeah. I, I really think that's the problem, but... I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist, but that's what I'm seeing here. From the outside, it definitely looks yeah. like that. So between the 10 years of 1954 and 1964, he had an on-again, off-again relationship with Angie Dickinson. Okay. So just whenever they kind of felt like it, they'd show up and hang out for a bit. <laughs> Again, when filming From Here to Eternity, he started seeing Donna Reed, a co-star. Gloria Canderbilt... That, doesn't that just sound like old money name? It really does. Gloria Canderbilt. Yes, and my father, <laughs> Reginald Canderbilt. Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so she and Sinatra had several flings together. Um, there was never a serious effort to make a relationship, yeah. so they were just, you know, enjoying each other physically. Friends with benefits. Yes. Okay. Another actress, and I always mess this up, Zsa Gabor, Zsa Gabor. Zsa Gabor. Zsa um, they Jar Jar had, Binks. <laughs> oh, Misa, like a freak Sinatra. Um, Zaza, they, she talked about all the flings they had. So multiple flings over years. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, just like the last women. that Just as they'd show up, they'd have a quickie, you know, hey, have a good night. Tell the kids I said hi, you know, and leave. <laughs> 1966, he married his third wife, Mia Farrow. Okay. Okay, cool. You know, three. A lot of people get married three times. He was 50 years old. I was just going to say that he had to be in his 50s. Mia Farrow was 21. Ooh. So one of my favorite things, Dean Martin yep. said when he heard about it, Frank, I've got scotch older than this kid. Which <laughs> you know had to piss him off. Oh, but yeah. Knowing Dean Martin, he had a thing of scotch in his hand and went, really? Yeah. This thing's older, yeah. <laughs> and then um, 1976, Frank found his fourth and final wife. Barbara Marks. So he's, what, 60 at this point? He'd be 60 in 1976. Mm-hmm. And that's when he, I guess, he, he was done sewing his wild oats. Oh, um, <laughs> can't sew anymore. <laughs> the needle's no, broken. <laughs> sewing seed anymore. Okay. The seed has grown. It's fallen. Yeah, so, so that's when he married Barbara Marks, and that was the, the wife he had for the rest of his life. There, there's many, many other women that he was rumored to have been with. Okay. But I didn't have a lot of information about him because one or both parties denied it. Okay. So I just didn't even bother including him. This podcast would go for four hours. <laughs> right? What was, did, did you have like any tally mark or like... I did Total? Not. Okay. Um, a lot. A lot, yes. <laughs> a lot. Fingers and toes worth. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, in any case... He he is what you could have called a womanizer. Oh, of course, yeah. That didn't surprise me so much because you look at musicians, artists, rock stars. It's the rock star life. It's kind of what it is. Right. Yeah, you got alcohol, you got drugs, you got sex. Right. So it, I understood that. You know, we look at him as a classy individual because the style of music and the era he grew up and in. And the dress, yeah. Right? But he he's he's just as much as a playboy as any of the other, you know, big names of today. You know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. What did surprise me um, are his views on racism. Okay. So this is... Is, is he another, like, huge racist? Are no. We, okay. This is, this is delightfully refreshing. Okay. Good. No, no. So, um, well, you know, he was in the Rat Pack. Right, so Sammy Davis had, Jr. Yeah, exactly. He had a black guy, had, I want to say two Italian guys, a Jewish guy. I don't remember. But there, there was definitely diversity. Right. Because who was it? Them. It was 
Sammy Davis Jr., Sinatra. Well, Sinatra himself is Italian. Yes, yeah, so he um, was one of them. There was the Dean chief. Martin, and who was the fourth? Because there was four of them, right? So it looks like it was... So the Rat Pack consisted of Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, and Joey Bishop. Okay. But I don't know if it was all five of them at the same time or not. Okay. Um, I want to say it was only four and one of them was replaced. Gotcha. But I, you know, I didn't do a podcast on that. <laughs> so. It's all good. I just, just, I like, I like the Rat Pack. I love Dean Martin. Yeah. So actually, uh, when we got married, uh, you know, the, your your walkout sound or song was a uh, kick in the head by uh, by I Dean Martin. A kick in the head. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Is that what she went out to or what you came out to? No, no, no. So like after our vows, after the whole ceremony. Oh, we'll gotcha, yeah. gotcha. Mine was na 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 na. You can't get away. You can't get away. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Now you're in this forever. It was played for my wife. Because now she's stuck forever. Um, Wait, is that actually a song? No, no, no. <laughs> no, but I tease her all the time. Like, you're stuck with it now. Mm-hmm. So there, there might have all been a song called You're Stuck With Me Forever. Yeah, so he was famously anti-racist. Okay. Which for this time, basically unheard of. Right. Um, so there's, there are a lot of instances of him showing his, his true colors... In a good way. In a good way, yeah. yes. Showing who he is. And not just acting. You know, not being that person that, oh, hey, everybody, look at me. Look, I'm being a good guy. Mm-hmm. You could tell that the inequality pissed him off. Mm-hmm. So this is why I like him. He is the 50s anti-racist. So after he had become a famous actor, he decided to use his position to do something about unfairness that he had seen since he was a kid. He saw poverty, racism, unfair living conditions... Everything that kind of goes along with with being a minority in that time and era, whether it was Irish, Italian, black, Jewish, Chinese, whatever it was, he saw it. He hated it. Mm -hmm. So when he became famous, he tried to change that. And he starred in the film called The House I Live In in 1945. It's a short film. Essentially, it showed one child that uh, was being bullied by a group of other children. Well, Frank kind of wanders out. He's like, hey, you know, you guys shouldn't be doing that. Quit calling racial slurs. And then he gave him the speech about, you know, why we're all the same. Why you shouldn't tease somebody for, you know, their appearance. And then, you know, he did a little song for him, which, and that was it. So then later on in the 50s, he insisted that the orchestras that backed him up on stage and anyone in his recording, it was integrated. Okay. So at a time where everyone... All, not everyone, but a lot of white singers only wanted white orchestras. Right. He said, no, I want it in- integrated. Mm-hmm. I want black, I want white, I want Mexican, Chinese, whatever it is. He says he wants it integrated right. because he doesn't care about what you look like. He cares about can you play. Right. You're going to make also, me sound good. Exactly. He also had a thing about trying to lift people up where he saw it's a lot easier to get gigs, to get work as a white person mm-hmm. in the 50s. Oh, yeah. He wanted to help, you know, people lift people up a little bit to show him that he's black so what don't look at that listen to how he plays look at what he can do right and so he liked having people play behind him that knew how to play so that someone in the audience goes oh hey that guy knows how to play right you know hopefully they'd hire him right well and when it comes down to it if you're listening to frank on the radio or anything you know you're not going to know what color the person is behind him woman man you know whatever it may be you don't 
that no one cares. It's all it's all music. It's all well, sound. You know. We don't care now. Right. Back then, right. apparently, it was a huge deal. Yeah. I can't listen to that. There's a black fellow. Like right. it just seems so backward. But he was he was very progressive in mm-hmm. a sense for that time, saying no. He he wanted another thing. He demanded equal pay. Really, anybody that's cool. that that was working with him got equal pay regardless of your color. That's cool. Which I thought was amazing. So this is in a in a time when black performers, when they would perform on the strip, they weren't allowed to stay at that casino. So these black performers would come on stage, sing, dance, whatever it is they do, and they'd be like, "All right, you gotta go." Wait, so where they they couldn't stay anywhere on the strip? They couldn't stay on the main strip. Okay. So the main drag, they had to go off strip and find like a motel to stay in. So even like Sammy Davis wasn't allowed to. Well, so he was one of them. Okay. But because of Frank. So this is at a time when black performers weren't allowed to stay on this on the strip. He escorted Lena Horne to the high-end club called the Start Club. And he was told, come on in, Frank. She can't go. She's not allowed to come in. So he threw a fit. He made a scene. And you know what happens when actors make a scene. Oh, yeah. Well, he's the biggest act. He's the biggest singer of the time right now. And he's throwing a, a fit in front of this place. And he's saying, you know what? You're not going to let her in. Every newspaper's going to know about you. So they allowed her in. I thought that was good. You know, he stood up for the woman that he was right hanging out with, escorting, as they called it. <laughs> was he? Was she one of the lovers? You know, it doesn't say, but that story, he is. The quote is, he was escorting her. To okay. The, so you read into it however you'd like. Right. You know, no. Either way, past. he was. You know, we know what he stood for. So, it, regardless if that was a lover or not, he well, was going to do this, and he, he did what was right. Right. Yeah. So, he also refused to play at any club that wouldn't admit all audience members. Okay. So, if they had a whites-only policy, he'd pound sand. You know, I'm not, I'm not playing there. So, that helped to really turn around these all-white clubs that they started letting in anybody because they wanted his act to perform. Right. One thing that's really cool. I, I don't know why stuff like this isn't common knowledge, but he was awarded the Lifetime Award from the NAACP for his willingness to headline civil rights fundraisers and it was an extremely generous supporter of Martin Luther King. Wow. Yeah. I had, I had no, no idea. idea. Yeah. So he even wrote in Ebony Magazine in 1958, quote, A friend to me has no race, no class, and belongs to no minority. My friendships are formed out of affection, mutual respect, and a feeling of having something in common. These are eternal values that cannot be classified. And hearing that, that is what I picture when I see Frank Sinatra, that is him in that dapper suit with mm-hmm. that hat saying, don't be a dickhead. Right. You know? <laughs> right, right. So, but things weren't all women and, you know, anti-racism. There was some other stuff. And this okay. is the interesting stuff that everybody kind of knows little bits about. Yeah. What I like to call the mob connection. Okay. So, rumors of the, his connection were always kind of floating around, but they never really came to the forefront until he was visiting Cuba. Okay. So, he left... Florida one day when it was overcast and rainy he didn't like it so he said I'm going to go where the sun shines at so he flew to Cuba which is you know hop skipping and jump away he was staying at the National Hotel uh, where 66 other well 66 gangsters were also staying okay and he knew them okay he knew a bunch of them from when he grew up in New Jersey New York right and when his family owned a tavern beer wasn't exactly alcohol liquor wasn't exactly legal okay so prohibition was what uh, 1920s. Okay. So he was a young kid. Okay. He was young. He was very impressionable. Okay. Mobsters were around, because where do you get illegal booze from? 
from the mob. mobsters. Yeah. So he knew a lot of these guys already and had connections with them just through acquaintances and friends. Right, right. So there's pictures of him taken with other gangsters where they're arm in arm hanging out at the Havana Club and one where he's at the airport carrying his own luggage. So one of the biggest stars in the world doesn't carry his own luggage. Right. right. Well, he's carrying his own luggage anytime he flies. So Jerry Lewis actually alleged that he would carry money for the mob in his attache case. Because um, no F- one was going to look. Exactly. So the FBI claimed that he carried $2 million in that bag out of Cuba that day. Oh. And back into uh, America, which Frank denied. He said that he was actually carrying art supplies. Uh-huh, yeah. So, you know. Because, you know, those Cuban art supplies. Well, when you think artist, you think, you know, Picasso, you know, Manet, Frank Sinatra. Right? Oh, yeah, you know. That's, <laughs> next to my Picasso and next to my Salvador Dali, I've got a few different uh, Frank Sinatras. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, yeah, he said he was carrying art supplies, and there's no way that $2 million would fit in a case that size. Which was actually proven wrong later on by journalist Norman Mailer. He proved that you could fit well over $2 <laughs> in a case that small. So Sinatra looks back and says that that is what really solidified his persona as a mobster okay. for the rest of his life. And he claims that you know the mobsters that he's seen with, they're literally just friends. But we see that it, it doesn't look that way on the surface. What makes it hard for me to believe that he only was friends with them we're talking Vegas in the 50s. Yes. That place was founded and run by the mob in its early in its infancy. Yeah. I mean, there there's no way that he didn't have some tie beyond. Oh yeah, I grew up down the street from Jerry and Bob and you know, no. His uncle used to deliver beer to my tavern. Right, yeah. right. No. And it, it, the more that I read into this, the more it shows it's really leaning towards he was not a member, but he worked for him. Oh, yeah. Early on in his career, he wanted to go solo when he was starting to get big and get noticed. He wanted to go solo and get rid of his contract with Tommy Dorsey. Um, but if he broke contract, he had to pay Tommy Dorsey 43% of his entertainment earnings. Holy cow. So Tommy Dorsey kind of had him by the cojones. Well, Frank Sinatra tried to hire lawyers to get out of this contract. Nothing worked. Well, then one day Tommy Dorsey dropped it. So everyone's like, oh, he just had a change of heart. So this father <laughs> figure, Tommy Dorsey, severed contact with him. They never wanted to meet again. And he says the reason that that happened is because he claimed that he was visited by one of Sinatra's mob pals, put a gun to his head, and he said, quote, glad to hear you were letting Frank out of your deal, quote. And he says, I took the hint. And I, I nullified the contract. Yeah. Because it was my life or, you know, <laughs> letting him out of the contract. Right, right. So there's another story um, about his role in From Here to Eternity. So there was a huge actor that was supposed to play the main character. Okay. He was a, a, a shoo-in for the part. Yeah. Easily. Everybody kind of knew it was going to happen. And he was liked by the producers. And so it was just going to happen. Mm-hmm. Well, then they decided to change and Frank Sinatra was given an audition and got the part. The producers claim, oh, he got the part because he just asked for less money. We couldn't afford to pay the number one actor what he wanted, right? The producers claim that the other actor simply asked for too much money, so they chose Sinatra because, you know, they could afford him. However, the head of Columbia Studies, Harry Cohn, he was not going to cast Frank. 
until he received a phone call from a mobster named Johnny Roselli, who persuaded him. <laughs> he, put it. he told him that it would be in his best interest to cast Frank. Lo and behold, Frank was cast. And this is very important because that is the movie that turned his career around. Interesting. Okay. He was down in the dumps, making no money, depressed, suicide attempts, which we'll get into in a minute. And that's the movie that turned it all around for him. So, what year was that movie? From Here to Eternity came out in 1953. Okay. So, another thing, uh, the FBI kept a file on Frank Sinatra for 40 years. And it included everything from possible mob jobs to extortion attempts, racketeering contracts, even in his involvement with the Communist Party in California. Which oh, wow. Okay. He denied, but the FBI, you know, made reports about it. Who knows? The FBI, it seems like in the 50s, had... A well, file on everybody, right? And and the FBI's thought back then was all superstars and movie stars were communists. Like yeah. that was a he, the you know MacArthur list and all that. I mean, my gosh, think about what they think about him today. Some of them outright come out and say, "I'm socialist." Oh yeah. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Hollywood would die today if it was back in the you know 40s, 50s, and 60s. Yeah. So the last thing I'm going to cover with Frank. Um, is that he was a suicidal individual. He okay. had tried a few times to take his own life. Um, it seemed like he had super high highs, and then his lows were just super low. When his career was starting to wane a little bit, he ended up having a hemorrhage in his throat, and it caused him to not be able to sing. It happened actually while he was on stage singing. His voice just stopped. Oh, wow. So he leaned in, and he said, Thank you, and walked off stage, because he couldn't do anymore. So after that hemorrhage, he wasn't able to sing, seemed like his friends were all leaving him. This is when he was married to Ava Gardner. Okay. Um, her career was at her peak, and his was at its almost its lowest point. Okay. And he was depressed over that. So one night he came home, and Ava Gardner refused to sleep with him, which apparently she did pretty often. Okay. And later that night he went to his room. They had separate rooms, which I thought was weird. But he went to his room, and she heard a gunshot. She said, quote, I didn't know what I was going to find. His brain's blown out. He has always threatened to do it, quote, unquote. But she found him sitting on the end of the bed, smiling with a gun in his hand. He had ended up shooting it into the pillow. And she said that it was obviously a cry for help for him. That it was just, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I need. Another time, they were vacationing in Tahoe. And Ava and Frank got into a fight. And she said, nope, not going to deal with it. She got... In her car, she drove home to L.A. Almost immediately following when she got home, she got a call. The call was from Frank's manager, saying that he had taken an overdose of sleeping pills, and his manager thought he was going to die. Oh, wow. Okay. He thought it was the end. So uh, he ended up not dying. Okay. Um, but that kind of bought him a little bit more time with Ava. Mm-hmm. So a few weeks after that, Frank was back in New York. He was staying with a friend, and he came back to the apartment drunk. He just had enough, took a handful of pills, he turned the gas on the stove, didn't light it, and he fell asleep in front of it, just hoping to slowly suffocate. Right, right. Um, luckily, his friend came home, noticed him, you know, <laughs> dying right there on right. the floor. Smells of gas, yeah. Yeah, smacked him around a little bit, turned the stove off, and he ended up living again. So it sounds like this is all within a very short amount of time. So the suicide attempts were all 
when his his career was just in a rut. Okay. When you know Ava was getting ready to leave him. This is right before they got divorced. Okay. They were fighting all the time. She was leaving the country to go film, so he was left by himself. His career's you know at, at, in a in a rut, and he just felt like this is as good as it's gonna get, and he wanted to off himself. That's crazy. So yeah, but it was interestingly enough after his film career started to take back off, um, that that went away Mm -hmm. it's just some people just can't handle the lows in life right right well you gotta think you know you're basically he's living off the high of being the man in town you know being number one you know best singer one of the top actors and if that's where you get your kicks from is being you know the best of the best and suddenly that's gone that'd be so hard oh absolutely that's your self image right there so it's not just like you get fired from a job well you know you Go find another job. How do you become a different actor? Become a different singer? Right. You right. Know? So, what what do you think? What are your thoughts here in this? Is Frank Sinatra who you thought he was? Yes and no. So, um, I had an idea that he was a ladies' man, lady killer kind of. Um, didn't realize how much of a lady killer he was. <laughs> lady serial killer. Yeah. No, whoa, 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 no. <laughs> um, and you know, it was. I, I knew he had ties with the mob, but. Just kind of, first of all, really cool to hear that he, you know, stood up to racism back then because that was a huge thing and that was unheard of. Not, I don't want to say unheard of, but that was really, that must have been really tough for him because he would have been, you know, a minority in that thought, you know, uh, being a high class, you know, white individual. That's, that, that probably would have been unheard of and he was ahead of his time, which is really cool. The other thing that, that kind of shocked me, I, I never knew that he was suicidal. Um, that sucks. You know, I've never gone through clinical depression or anything, which clearly it sounds like he did. But it's also a bright, not a, I don't want to say bright spot, but it almost makes you think like, okay, everybody goes through these issues. You know, I think that's something that people can look at and say, wow, even these you know superstars go through this stuff i'm not the only one you know so it's it's, it's really interesting I, I didn't know much you know beyond him his movie and, and singing career and yeah it's learned a lot today well good i i know that mental health care today is still something you know we're wanting for right. i can't imagine what it was in the 50s oh horrible so it, it almost seems like a weakness back in the 50s to say, hey, I need to talk to somebody, or hey, you know, I need something right. mental, mentally. Right. So I wonder what his life would have been like if he had, you know, what the opportunities today to say, hey, I need to see somebody to kind of talk through some of this crap. My wife's out of country doing this, my job's in, you know, hit the floor, and I, I feel like killing myself. Right. Would his life have been any better? I don't think so, because you still see this happening all the time in, in mainstream you know, world and and, and in pop culture. I mean, you see artists killing themselves, unfortunately, all the time. I mean, heck, what was it, three years ago, two of my favorite singers, Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, both off themselves. Um, It's a different conversation. (laughs) I just gave the quote-unquote to Nick here because... Dude, I would... Yeah. That would be an interesting interesting podcast to go into, but... Not to put, in, there, there was documentation that he was a little bit off his rocker a little bit. But, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it would have helped. Yeah. And, I mean, it turned out well for him. Right. Luckily. But, you know, what if it didn't? It, it's... I'm glad that it did turn out the way that it did. And when... You said it was the... What year was it, roughly, that he had the suicide attempts? I believe it was in the early 50s. Okay. So he still had somewhat of a career already. So oh, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his career... Okay. It, his career was at its lowest point then. Okay. So it just took skyrocketed after that. Gotcha. Okay. So we would have still known about Frank Sinatra. He still would have... 100%. But the, the back end of his career would have been nothing. It, it would have been a, kind of like a longer Jimi Hendrix. How he just burned really, really blight and then, you know, was expunged. So <laughs> That's a flash in the pan. Jimi Hendrix rise to fame and, you know, then joining the 27 Club was like... Isn't the 27 Club crazy? Yes. I'm blown away at how many people. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost, almost conspiracy. Oh, it's not almost. It is definitely... The 27... Anything that has its own name, like the 27 Club, is a conspiracy. That, what was it? Joplin? Uh, I want to say Jim Morrison? Yeah, Jim's, Jim uh, Morrison. Hendrix. Hendrix. Cobain. There's a um, ton of them. I want to say there's like 30 or 40. Oh, yeah. Uh, Winehouse, I think, was 27. Is she a rock star? Oh, dude. She was big. If you think about it... I mean... I, and, and if you look at the 27 Club, it's not just rock and roll artists. I guess I, yeah. I always looked at it from my skewed view right. of, you know, what I look at as music. But okay, yeah, 20, it's just it's super odd. Yeah. And all of them die at 27. Mm-hmm. So, really, really weird. That'd be an interesting, maybe a an off, an, you know, humanizing history, but kind of like an offshoot, you know, have a side pot. Not... Not just about the 27 Club, but maybe an episode that we talk about something weird like that. You know, and hey, I listen to podcasts all day long. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have their weird episodes where they go, hey, you know, this is this month and this is the month where we're going to do blank. And it's an off-the-wall kind of thing. So, hey, maybe that's something. Let us know if that's something you guys would be interested in us doing a side project on. You know, maybe having one week where we dive into something weird like that. Let us know. Yeah. So, any last words before we... Uh, you know, take off? Uh, I'm going to be listening to some Frank Sinatra on the way home, probably. Okay. All right. Was it Take Me to the Moon? That's uh, that's Sinatra, right? Well, Nick is Most finding days. out what he wants to listen to <laughs> on the, you know, short ride home. Please email us at humanizinghistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at humanizingpod. Find us on Reddit at r slash humanizing underscore history. You can even check us out on Instagram. We are hashtag humanizinghistory. Uh, last but not least, we are on Facebook. Look us up on Facebook, Humanizing History. We should pop up. Yeah. So, Nick, last word? This was an interesting one. I'm excited for next week, too. Um, and, yeah, I've, I'm just looking forward to seeing where this podcast goes. So. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, please, if you're hearing us, like us. You know, give us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Yeah. Um, we're, we're not going to get any better unless you guys tell us how. So, Cool. Yeah. Like, review, and hey, download us too. Tell us, tell your friends about us. Like, comment, subscribe. You know, I hate being that guy, but you gotta be that guy. Yes, yes, you do. Yeah, all right. Have a good night. Be safe. Love each other. Nick, I'll see you next week. See you next week.